Welcome back to American Graffiti, one song at a time. I'm your DJ, Doris, and today with me are Rick and Julia. Hey! Hello, I'm Hello. Rick. Hello, I'm Julia. <laughs> and Rick and Julia are from Mad Max Minute, am I correct? That is correct. Yes, since 2017, we've been going through the Mad Max movies one minute at a time and having an apocalyptic time the whole the whole journey. <laughs> yeah, with the Road Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> You were um, blessed to be recognized by the maker of the movie, right? Ah, uh, yes. Yes, uh, I yeah. like that phrasing. It we took were a little work blessed. on our end, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I thought he uh, kind of came across your podcast by chance. So I believe that the events that led to George Miller, who people may recognize as the Academy Award winning director of the Mad Max series, discovering our podcast, we had in the first week of our coverage of Mad Max Fury Road, the storyboard artist, Mark Sexton from that movie. And Mark just happens to have an office that is not exactly directly across, but maybe on the same floor of George Miller. And so it just so happened that Mark being on our show and being in such close proximity to George, and also it might have something to do with me emailing George Miller's personal assistance over a seven-month period. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> he was being interviewed by a magazine, and he specifically mentioned us. Wow. As the Mad Max Minute. And that was kind of crazy. And then he came on and he and I were able to have about an hour's conversation. And it was really awesome. That is so cool. It's not going to happen on this podcast. <laughs> we're not going to have George Lucas on. <laughs> I mean, what is George Lucas doing these days? Oh, well. <laughs> Collecting art, I suppose. <laughs> so this scene is Chuck Berry and Almost Grown. How do you feel about the song? So I admittedly have not listened to a ton of Chuck, Chuck Berry, but looking over the lyrics to this song, I really like how it parallels what we see in the movie here. You know, basically exactly. singing about, I'm a good yeah. boy. I don't hang out with awful people. Yet there is a girl that I have my eyes on. And I think it really encapsulates Terry very well. My thoughts exactly. He is such... The innocent, nerdy teen who likes to be cooler than he really is. <laughs> <laughs> and now he has his dream car. It's not his car, but no one knows that. No one needs to know that. <laughs> no one needs to know that. I mean, the cool guys on, along the strip, they all know that it's Steve's car. But <laughs> <laughs> Debbie doesn't know. And that's important. I'm almost grown. I'm doing all right in school. I've never been in trouble. I want to buy a car and have a girlfriend. It, it is basically the summary of Terry's life so far. Mm -hmm. Well, and along comes Debbie. Do we think about her when we see her for the first time? She seems classic. Hmm. I don't know a lot about, about the era. Yeah. Uh, but she seems to embody what I do know about the era. The, the sweater over her shoulders with the little chain in front, the hair, the dress, uh, the bra shape. The pointed cups. Very, very iconic. The bleached hair. Yes. Yeah. The little bow in her hair. Actually, that's a wig. I hope it so. Was not, it was not <laughs> even her real hair. That's a wig. That makes me happy. I love hearing when actresses, and actors too, but mostly actresses, get to wear wigs 
so that they don't have to bear the brunt of that hairdressing every day. Oh, yes, yes. I had bleached hair like that once. Yeah. Stress the once because it really <laughs> it, it really kills your hair. Yes. Yeah, the sweater, just a little side note, the sweater wasn't planned, but the actress was freezing her butt off. <laughs> so they put a sweater in. But of course, it is it is the classic, it's, it's more like a 1950s look with that uh, flaring uh, dress and, and the little sweater on top. And yeah, classic. This is exactly what, what Debbie looks like. She is classic. And what I personally, as a German, find interesting is that the uh, flowers on her dress are Edelweisses. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so a little Alpine feeling. Yes. So does she qualify as, quote-unquote, a bitchin' babe? It was so strange for me to hear that phrase coming out of this movie because, I don't know, I just... I'm so I don't glad expect, I'm not the only one. <laughs> I don't I expect <laughs> that sort of language coming from the early 60s. I don't know, I expected some sort of different slang. Right, yeah. right. When I think of a bitchin' babe in my head, I think of Grease's, uh, what's-her-name, Sandy at the very end when she's all leather. Like that's a bitch and babe. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I, I don't think Terry must have read it somewhere. Heard it somewhere. <laughs> I don't think it's actually his kind of talking about girls. You know what? That makes a lot of sense because he does seem he's he's young. He's trying. He is trying, trying hard. So hard. He's heard other guys who drive this type of Impala speak like that. Yes. So he's adopting yeah. the lexicon. Even though he doesn't understand what it means or how it applies. <laughs> yeah. He's using it anyways. Yeah, I mean, the the song, The, the Great Imposter, is in the movie somewhere, and maybe it would have fitted here as well. <laughs> <laughs> because he, he kind of comes across as a little bit... Well, he's trying a little too hard at times. And then her walking along the street and all the cat hauling that goes on. That actually made me feel uncomfortable a little bit. It made me feel very uncomfortable. It made yeah. me feel worried for her. Because I'm not terribly familiar with this movie. I, I don't mm. know how things progress. So, like, does he have to come in and save her? I don't know these things. So it, it made me worried. Yeah. I mean, the last time I watched it was ages ago, and I'm starting to notice these things now, and um, I mean, she, she kind of seems used to it. She knows how to handle herself. She, she avoids eye contact, pretty much. But as she walks by those, what is it, a motorcycle gang or something? Yeah. Bunch of greasers. Ooh. <laughs> One of them is wearing a Wehrmacht helmet. A German Wehrmacht helmet. That makes me feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah. I see that. All right. Yeah, I don't want to know what kind of uh, guys these are. No. And I mean, it's like five or six guys and she just kind of squeezes by them. Yeah. I definitely agree that she handles herself well in the face of this sort of attention. And she always, uh, she's probably used to it because... Unfortunately, if you, yeah. If you, if, you, if you watch that movie, that is going on all of the time there. And, I mean, um, we know that catcalling women in the street has not stopped <laughs> since the 1960s. Certainly. And I thought a lot about this while I was watching this clip. And because Terry goes on to kind of do the same thing to her. Mm -hmm. He catcalls her as well. And he's not as aggressive 
and scary as the group of guys, but she does the same thing. Yeah, she looks away. She looks away and she doesn't engage him either. So I thought a lot about the context of the times and and how the culture was different. So catcalling wasn't looked at the same way that we look at it now, hmm. where now there's no if, and, or buts. Like, it's not okay. It doesn't, it's harassment. Yeah, it's, it's harassment. It's under no circumstances is any level of catcalling an okay behavior. But in this setting of the movie, there seems to be an acceptable type of catcalling and an unacceptable type of catcalling. Most definitely. Yeah. Probably they expect it to be catcalled. I mean, we, we look at it with our 2020 or 2021 uh, eyes and it just feels different. But I remember not being worried about it when I saw it like in, in, in the 1980s sometime. I imagine, I, I really hesitate to make these parallels because because they, you know, involve a woman's body. But we have Terry who's in this car that is not his. It's not his car. No, it's 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 Steve's, Steve's okay. car. Yeah. So it's not his car. He is going out, he is cruising the town out there to look good. He wants to be catcalled. He wants to be noticed for what he's driving. Yeah, and he wants to be noticed by a girl like Debbie. Yes. Yes. And there are some women out there both back in you know throughout history all, all times that do the same thing who who dress up because they want to be noticed. Mm, certainly. And that doesn't justify the malicious style of catcalling that we see in this clip, but she wants to, I get the feeling, the vibe, that she wants to attract somebody that she is attracted to. Yeah, she Somebody does, like certainly, a person yeah. in this car. Yeah, she seems to be out and about, and I can understand that if you are a single woman and you're approached by a group of bikers, that would be unappetizing because you're instantly outnumbered and in a very precarious situation. But an individual approaching you like the way Terry does, I could see how that would be a lot more amenable. And instead of just being uh, animalistic like those other bikers were, just sort of hooping and hollering at her, yeah. Terry comes at it a different way. He yeah. greets her like a human being. Right. And he attempts <laughs> yes. to be friendly, which comes across as a little awkward. But, a you little know, awkward, yeah. yeah but try, trying Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> Buenas noches. <laughs> but, I mean, he's, he's trying as hard as he can. Like, do you know my friend? He, of course, he then mentions John Milner, who is the coolest guy he knows. And then, I mean, he's, he actually says something that, Debbie thinks it's very nice. He compares her to, uh, what is it, Sandra D? No, Connie Stevens. Connie Stevens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did have to look up Connie Stevens because I really had no idea who she was. So looking at pictures of her, I, she's blonde. That's really kind of it. Those uh, kind of movie starlets of the day, like the um, starring in the after school special, I think kind of comparable to... Um, Debbie Reynolds at her time. Yes. Yeah. Very Debbie Reynolds, which also feels rather Sandra D. I think they were kind of in, in, in the same um, vein of actresses. Of course, um, Debbie Reynolds then spread out and, and really became a great actress. But Connie Stevens and Sandra D, they kind of disappeared. They were teen idols in, in, in their day. So it does feel like an appropriate comparison in a flirting situation. 
Hmm. Like, you know, when you're flirting, he, okay, he goes on to say, hey, I'm not just giving you a line. I really mean it. No, he's giving her a line. I don't know. Of yeah. course. He's like, being flattering. I look at her. I look at Debbie and I look at me Googling Connie Stevens 1962 and <laughs> I don't know. I don't see it. I just, I, I don't see the connection. Maybe there's Maybe some sort earlier. of picture of Connie Stevens that Debbie is embodying here, but I don't see it. Well, then Google Sandra D. Maybe. Oh, I did. <laughs> yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with Debbie yeah. saying that she considers herself more like Sandra D. Yeah, but maybe Connie Stevens was considered to be more higher class than Sandra D. I don't know. But, I mean, they were the teen idols. And comparing her to one of them, probably, even if it doesn't mean it, it works. It works as a compliment for her. It does. And it opens up to conversation. And, yeah. And then, of course, you look at Terry and... Is he dangerous? Of course, any guy can be dangerous, but Terry looks... If if there's a guy in this movie that looks harmless, it's Terry. <laughs> Definitely. And they call me Terry the tiger. <laughs> he almost said the toad, like all the others call him. Yeah. That made me laugh because that's going to fall apart so quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, as soon as he runs into one of his actual friends. Yeah. 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 If he really wants to, like, get to know this girl and to couple up with her, then she's going to meet his friends. And she's very quickly going to learn that he's not the tiger. He is the toad. He's not the tiger. He, <laughs> it's not his car. Right. It's not his car, which is, like, the thing she actually likes. Right. It's the car. Yeah. Now... <laughs> Okay, obviously, I, I say this obvious, like we're all a bunch of gearheads. Terry is driving Steve's, what is it, a 58 Chevy Impala, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of a vehicle that Julie and I have seen more recently in 1981's The Road Warrior. There is a vehicle. It is a soft pink, almost like a pastel pink 1959 DeSoto Fire Sweep. And it's an interesting model of car because that is the car that is up on a lift kit and it goes up to the gates of the compound and a flamethrower is shot at it. And the guy driving it is this rotund guy with a dyed pink beard and he screams because the car is flamethrowered and exploded. And I love that it's not the same make, it's not the same model, but it's got those tail fins and it's got six little tail lights on the end. So in that way, the Impala and the DeSoto have something in common, and I can bring it up and justifiably. <laughs> it also has the, the, the flame design right along the side. Yeah, so Steve customized it. And of course, it's his treasure, and he's only giving it to Terry for safekeeping, because of course, he's leaving for college, he can't take his car. And Terry is so elated. And, well, the exchange that follows now, it's so funny. <laughs> so embarrassing for Terry. She says, I like the upholstery. A tuck and roll upholstery. And I let you feel it. <laughs> <laughs> and then instantly recognizing that he kind of put his foot in his mouth now. <laughs> He's dr- he's trying really hard to be a polite young man to a young lady, but then yeah. his like just teenagerness shows yeah. through. He can't help it. He just realized how much of a double entendre he's throwing out. Yeah, <laughs> and then he does it again. <laughs> but then he, he very quickly recognizes that Debbie is not the innocent blonde that she looks like, and she handles herself really self assuredly as soon as yeah. This is a guy I can talk to. I like the car. Maybe there's some fun to be had. Right. It's worth the t- it's worth the time investment. 
it's worth the time investment. She <laughs> takes the steering wheel, figuratively. I get such a kick out of Terry trying to learn more about Debbie, but Debbie constantly turning back to the car. Like, he starts talking about his nickname. She talks about how tough the car is. He wants to know what school she goes to. She mentions it offhand, but then she asks about the power of the car, and he talks about how it's got a 327 in it, which is technically a V8, so that's another thing that we can appreciate coming from the Mad Max series. We love a good V8. But as you mentioned, you know, Debbie's focused on that upholstery, and that upholstery, it's just the perfect lead-in to inviting her into the car like having a justified reason by it and as you said like she's more than willing to oblige and then she moves in and peel out and he doesn't know what she's talking about (laughs) i like how her flirtatious nature is shown by how she gets into the car and she settles in on the middle part of the seat she doesn't go all the way over to the passenger side she stays as close to that driver's side as possible. Yeah, she's made her choice. She's going with it. Yeah, which and shows She's going that, full in. Yeah, it's not just about the car. She's willing to take the boy with the car. <laughs> yeah. Because if she wasn't interested in the boy, she would have slid all the way over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Terry, he's- All of a sudden, he's in over his head, and <laughs> he kind of <laughs> is lost, in a loss for words now. And it is so endearing. It just all happened so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can't believe his luck. (laughs) (laughs) He was probably very, very much prepared that she's blowing him off. Because probably this is what most girls do to him. Right. But the magic of the Impala, it gives him that experience that he's never had before. I was watching this clip and I was hard pre- or I was, uh, it was hard for me not to think of another teen coming of age movie. Which, honestly, the more I think about it, the more similar this movie and it are specifically the movie Superbad. Uh-huh. Because you've got the character of McLovin, played by, oh gosh, what's his name? I think it's Jonathan Mitzplatz or something like that. But he's a very nerdy kid who gets his hands on a fake ID to buy some alcohol. And the name on the ID is McLovin, so that is his character <laughs> throughout the movie. And he runs into a couple of cops, played by Bill Hader and Seth Rogen, and they sort of adopt him, and they just have this crazy night where a bunch of weird stuff happens. And I get a lot of McLovin energy from Terry in this scene. Yeah, including the trying to buy booze. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the more I watch Terry's scenes, um, the more I like him because, well, he's he's trying to play cool. He's trying to be a badass, which he's not, but he's really a good guy. I felt a little bad for Terry at the beginning of this clip because they seemed to pair the catcalling of the bikers with him shouting out the window. It almost seemed to happen too close together, as if to say, these things are all the same. But as mm. we discussed, like the way he goes about it is so different. Yeah, actually looking at her and trying, I, I want to say something nice yeah. to her. Kind of like, uh, well, he, he doesn't really know what to say to a girl like that. <laughs> but he's trying. He's trying. He's putting up a good effort. Yeah. I give him credit for going outside of his comfort zone. I'm still not sure, you know, I'm still a little uncomfortable with his approach, with his catcalling style approach. Uh, but he knows that he is out of his depth right away. Like, immediately, as soon as he gets in that car, he is out of his depth. But he goes <laughs> for it anyways. He's in the car. He is out cruising, looking for a connection of some kind. And he just gives it a whirl. 
that's really yeah. brave. Mm-hmm. I was and not like it that. Works out. Yeah, I was certainly not like that as a teenager or a young adult. So you get a lot of credit from me for that. Well, we've been talking about how our teenage experience was either alike or very different than what we see in this film. Mine was certainly very, very different growing up in in a non-car culture at that age because people weren't allowed to drive at that age in, in Germany and still aren't and certainly don't have their own cars. And just finding that even though this is like totally different teenage experience from from the one that I had. Never mind that it is, of course, in the 1960s, which would be my parents. We still kind of feel very much the same feelings, remembering back. The awkwardness, the excitement of a Friday night, maybe. Yeah, my adolescence was absolutely nothing like this. Even my young adulthood and Rick and I meeting and starting to date was not like this. Like, we were friends before we started dating. We ran in the same circle of friends. And everybody that I've dated, that's how I met them. We ran in the same circle of friends. So this, seeing somebody and approaching them and and hitting on them and asking them out, that whole scenario, completely foreign to me. And I'm so grateful that I did not have to do that. I would be so bad at it. Yeah, but if we look, of course, at the other couples on the film, uh, none of them do it like that. I mean, they're all either high school sweethearts or the sister of your best friend is your girlfriend. So it's also this meeting someone through someone else and not necessarily picking them up cruising through town. (laughs) Yes. I think one of the things I really appreciate about Terry picking up Debbie is that Terry doesn't pressure Debbie into the car. Like, he stops and he's you know, talking to her out the window, mm. but he doesn't cut her off in a crosswalk or something like that. He catches her attention through a compliment and she is the one to approach the car. And sure, he invites her to come in, but it's because of something that she noticed. And so there seems to be a good balance of power between mm. these two. I always have the feeling that Debbie has a lot more power in that situation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, you're right. He's not pressuring her. You can touch it if you want. I can, if you want, you can feel the upholstery. (laughs) But he's like, come on in. (laughs) And she doesn't tarry. She's, yeah, move over or get out and let me move over. (laughs) Yeah, she's going in um, all the way. I was a little curious about the style of her entering the car, where he gets out, she slides into the middle, and then he gets back in, rather than him like opening the door for her on the passenger side. Mm-hmm. I, I found that very curious. It seems very polite, but also a little suggestive. Well, it all stems back to how those late 50s, early 60s cars they didn't have bucket seats. They had bench seats. And so you're, you could get in on the driver's side and slide all the way over to the passenger seat without having to lift your feet over or around a center console. And so it was so Makes much easier, easier to move around that way. Yeah, because it was a very quick entry as opposed to her running around the other side of the car and climbing in the passenger side. Mm. Yeah, and of course, on, on the other side, you have the traffic going on. So probably also just a lot easier to move in from, from the driver's side. Of course, it would have made for a nice gentlemanly attitude if he had gone around and opened the door for her. Maybe that was his plan and she just moved by him. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Another instance of her taking control. Right. And it was rather forward of her, I think, to once she was in and settled into that seat and he got back in the car to tell him to peel out. And 
Of course, he has no idea what to do there. But then she insists, peel out. She loves it when guys peel out. And I uh, I cannot help but go in a certain direction to believe that her talking about peeling out and loving it when guys peel out, that that is in its own way a sort of double entendre in the same vein Oh yeah, of Terry. Of course. Totally. I mean, he, he doesn't know what to do at first. What is she saying there? I yeah, it felt very suggestive. Yeah. And very instructional. Here's what I like. Now do it. Mm. Right. And, you know, that's that open communication is very important with, you know, intimate relationships and that that's what it felt like. Yeah. If she is going to enter his car and uh, feel the upholstery, she would appreciate it if he would peel out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like that through the rest of the movie. Well, Let's go there. Let's let's buy some booze. Let's go and park. And <laughs> <laughs> let's have a picnic under the stars and let's find the goat killer. <laughs> yeah, this dynamic that's been established doesn't it doesn't alter for the rest of the movie. This is this is their relationship. Yeah. And kind of very contrary when when we see her the first time she she's this doll like figure mm-hmm. looking so innocent so put together and then yeah well she's a power woman <laughs> she knows what she wants which is always very attractive at least to Terry it is yeah yes <laughs> I like what this says about modern feminism is that you can be self-assured in control and you can know what you want and you can ask for what you want and still be this ultra feminine display. The Sandra D figure. You can doll up to the nines, you can bleach your hair and still be self-assured. They are not mutually exclusive. Certainly not. So, Julia, you said you haven't watched this movie um, before, or maybe just once? I have seen this movie once a very, very long time ago. So essentially, I'm coming at it just from this clip, uh, which was fascinating to not have context around this clip, to not have that setup of who these people are beforehand, and just gather information from this interaction. And I, I think I learned a lot about these two people just from this two minutes yeah it's a very interesting scene yes yeah it's great and rick do you have any any history with american graffiti oh i have never seen this movie before in my life (laughs) this one clip is essentially all i've ever seen of it and most of the stuff i knew about it was because i outlined the clip and so i had to do a little bit of research here and there where i discovered terry's nickname and debbie's last name and all this other stuff a general synopsis of the film from the Wikipedia page, essentially. This is so interesting. Of course, I've watched it very, very much, but then I had like a 15-year break. (laughs) And then I watched it again, and I just noticed how different it looks to me now than when I last watched it. Of course, going through it clip by clip makes it a lot more poignant. And I'm I'm starting to appreciate these characters from a totally different angle now. Like Terry always used to be like uh, the nerd. Who cares? But he's quickly turning into my favorite character in this one. <laughs> the the big glasses and the big ears will definitely do that. And the awkward hairdo. <laughs> I looked up Charles Martin Smith on IMDb, and I've got to say he is much more handsome now as an older man than he was yeah. here as a teenager. <laughs> I mean, the teeth, yeah. But I find his awkwardness so endearing, kind of. 
because I remember uh, being an awkward teenager. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rick and Julia, you are still busy doing Mad Max Minute. Yeah, that is very true. Where can people find you if they want to give you a listen? So if people want to hear more of us to hear the kind of things that we produce, they can go to our website, madmaxminute.com. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, we've been doing this show since about 2017, going through the Mad Max movies one minute at a time. And we've gone through each one from the 1979 original to 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. And you may notice, well, Rick, you've run out of Mad Max movies, and I would have to agree with you. I guess there's something else on the pipeline. Yes, we are currently releasing episodes every Tuesday of Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. Like most people in the world, there was a bit of a Mad Max drought in the 90s that Waterworld tried to fill, and so we decided that was the good filler material while we wait for friend of the show George Miller (laughs) to release either his Furiosa sequel or his next Mad Max movie. Well, so if people want to go and uh, talk about Waterworld or listen in on Waterworld, a kind of underappreciated film, I have to say. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> I remember watching it in the movies, in, in the theater, actually. Yeah, I had a Kevin Costner phase <laughs> in the 90s. I think a lot of people did. I had a minor, yeah. a minor Kevin Costner phase in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about the bodyguard a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to say about the bodyguard. Yes. Which we have decided we're going to cover the bodyguard, like the whole movie at a time when we're done with Waterworld. So, you know, in like a year and a half. Yeah. In a special <laughs> hiatus episode. Yes. Yeah. But I think Waterworld has been unjustifiably maligned a bit. I think it's it's better than most people, um, or at least I think so. <laughs> I agree with you. It, it still is not one of my favorite movies, but it is not art. Yeah, <laughs> I would say it's not among the greatest movies ever made. But when it's good, it's really, really good. Yeah, yeah. It's like a good cheese, you know. Yes. When it's good, it's really good. But at the end of the day, it is still just cheese. It is cheese. I, mean, I you can't believe you take would it say for what that. it is. Just cheese? Hey, some cheeses are better than other cheeses. I will agree and with you And at the there. end of the day, it is cheese. <laughs> Just cheese? I mean, cheese is everything. It's cheese. <laughs> the best cheese in the world. Of course, it is. It is. Just entertainment. And um, I found it entertaining. Let's put it like that. I I wasn't bored watching it. Yeah. Having fun at the movies is what Waterworld is all about. Yes, definitely. So I'm going to kind of leave you with a tomato plant, isn't it? A dying tomato plant. (laughs) (laughs) As we leave the uh, very opulent 1960s and move on to the flooded oceans of a climate-wrecked world. Well, that was a downer now. (laughs) (laughs) I might I might ask Tini to cut that. <laughs> okay, so um, if people want to join us and talk a little bit more about 1960s car culture, cruising, vintage cars, and oldies, they can join us on Facebook and uh, at Mel's Listen to Drive In, or they can find us on Instagram and Twitter at VCR Privileges. And we will be happy to um, have everyone come and join us and talk a bit about American Graffiti. Rick and Julia, it's been great. Thank you so much for having us. This has been a good time. It's been a lot of fun. He's really fast.
Disney. 